and here's what that that price welcome is to diversity conversations right. where we engage say, in thought-provoking no, dialogue to identify no, leadership no, solutions to today's years, most challenging right. conflicts stream live right. each week saturday 9 30 a.m to 11 a.m right. hosted by right. diversity so equity and inclusion so strategist and ceos uh, eric ellis and tommy lewis join us and add your voice to this engaging diversity conversation so we're, all, we're always out here doing the attorney work and, and doing surgery uh, and just trying to extrapolate some of the cancers that may be in our organizations or maybe even some thoughts that may be in people. That's how my week went this this week. How about your week? Well, I love that, Tommy. I'm, I'm going to make a parallel okay. analogy by talking about our good friend, Tiger Woods. Yes, sir. So, uh, so here Tiger Woods is out there, man, just eating the game alive. And it's just so powerful to see what he's doing and how he's navigating the course, man. It's just been phenomenal to see what he's doing there. Uh, and the thing is, you know, in our world, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it looks easy. Here's the point that I wanted to make. Tiger said that uh, I hope the weekend conditions are hard. Because he knows the harder the course, the tougher the weather, the much uh, more, more difficult it is if your game is not strong for you to rise to the top. Mm -hmm. so he's looking for tough conditions. He doesn't fear that. Mm -hmm. In our world, it's the same way. Yes, we don't is. mind tough conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, if the condition is tough, then we're fine with that. And sometimes when you are making things look easy, people think it is easy and that you haven't done much. Well, just put somebody else in there and see what that looks like. And so the tougher society gets right now, that's what we're seeing, Tommy, is an increase of backlash and all kinds of other things. So that is putting more pressure on organizations. In other words, you can't just do anything today because this divided world will eat you alive. And so what that's doing is that's really making more room for people who are continuing to sharpen their saw, who are continuing to study, who are continuing to bring forth a character of love and humility, because I think that those are so important in this work. Uh, and we but we have many, many, many clients who yeah. value what we do and we are so grateful to them. Who appreciate what we do and we can't do anything without them can we tom no we can't it's really Not, a partnership it's absolutely a partnership eric it's absolutely a partnership and i will take it a little bit further and and, and we have a very very special guest today as right. well looking forward to the conversation there uh as we begin you know and continue our diversity conversations i would take it even further not only you know in the work that we do when we have our clients i.e our partners but as we look at those individuals who have been working with their respective organizations for a day or 50 years in some cases, right? That though that too are is partnerships. Right. You have the internal customer. And right. and those partnerships is that when I come to work, I am going to give my everything, right. whatever that is. Right. right? And I expect a return. Sometimes it's compensation. Sometimes it's it's psychological safety. Right. Uh, sometimes it's it's my work family. I'm with you and 
sometimes more than with my regular family. Mm-hmm. So it's a partnership. And in every partnership and relationship, there's ups and downs. But when we have a desired outcome, things get better. Right? I things love that. Easier. I love yeah. that. Uh, a couple other things. I'll talk about uh, a couple other things in the week. Uh, Tommy, I did call you and share with you that one of my clients shared with me that uh, she and her daughters uh, watch us regularly. And I was so blown away by that. Uh, Kathy Jennings and uh, with Americans for the Arts, uh, tremendous person, tremendous leader within the organization. Uh, she talked to me about her and her daughter. She said, I wanted my daughters to watch this show so that she could see some real black men, fathers mm-hmm. who love their families, who had fathers who love their families. She said, there's just so few uh, examples of that in the media that she was just grateful to see what we're doing together. And I've known her for several years, Tommy, but to hear her mention your name made me feel good. I said, oh, you did boy, Tommy. In other words, you've been watching this so much that you have fallen in love with Tommy Lewis and his contribution. I just find that so special with people that I care a lot about that kind of know each other only through this uh, this uh, programming. And we're gonna have her and maybe her daughter on the show. Yes. About some things around helping people that are uh, single mothers and things like that. Uh, this week, uh, I, like I said, Tiger Woods uh, comes back to the Masters after 14 months of not playing. Uh, the last time we heard from Tiger in a big way, he got in that accident. We didn't know if he'd ever walk again, Tommy. It was very, I mean, it was almost no chance that he would play again and certainly no chance almost at all that he would play at the level of being able to compete at the Masters and for Tiger Woods to be there. Uh, so so we thought he might get out, hit the first tee shot, you know, uh, the ceremonial tee shot, and then just limp off to the side. Nope, he made the cut when a lot of the biggest golfers on the planet did not make the cut for this weekend. So he's one over right now. Uh, he's four strokes behind most of the leaders. Uh, the uh, the uh, lead person is uh, eight under, so that's that's a bit of a distance. But when I was looking at Tiger's interview, man, everything in him, the eye of the tiger was in him. And yeah. he was saying, I'm about to, uh, the, you know, to, uh, run this guy down. The other things that happened this week, and we're going to talk to our guest about this. Uh, there was confirmation of uh, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson as the first African-American female uh, uh, Supreme Court justice. She'll take over that position uh, when the current person retires, uh, finishes out their session, I think this summer, June, July. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, I had a number of things happen this week with uh, doing our last presentation with Wilmington College and Southern College. We've done a four sort of series, a four uh, uh, keynote series of topics that we've worked with them. So we wrapped up the last one uh, with tears and laughter and joy. I just want to give a shout out to Wilmington College and Chip and uh, Brianna, some of the leaders over there in Southern College for participating with us through four sessions. And so great week, Tommy. Great week indeed, man. Uh, It's my honor, Eric, to uh, bring to the stage our guest, Rochelle Thompson. Uh, as we bring Rochelle to to our table and welcome her this morning, welcome, welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Rochelle. I would like to introduce her, and we'll jump into our conversation, may, maybe in a multi-tier approach. 
first, uh, this is a woman of power. Uh, and the power that I have experienced is not the power of sheer physical strength. Right. She does have that. It's the power of her energy, Eric. Her energy, her intellect, her spirit Love is that. very powerful, such that uh, I've engaged with Rochelle, not an, an aggressive speaker, not a loud talker, but she is E.F. Hutton. <laughs> and, for, and for those millennials out there who are less familiar with E.F. Hutton, uh, it was a commercial that said when when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Right. Or Michelle Obama. Or <laughs> Michelle Obama. Indeed. Rochelle Thompson. She's a professional. She's a professional. Many, many years, many moons, brings a lot of experience, just like we were talking about speaking in 15 minutes or so, bringing 30 plus, well, beyond 30 years to, to this in different spaces. And then finally, she's an author. She's put pen to pad. She's been able to articulate her thoughts to allow other people, other people to enjoy that, uh, enjoy the experience uh, in the leisure of their own home, in the leisure of their office space, or even on the beach. And that's what I found to be very important with writing books that people can take the journey at their own pace. Mm -hmm. Right. This is Rochelle Thompson. Welcome, Rochelle. Well, thank you, Tommy. Thanks. Thank you both, Eric and Tommy, for having me on the, on the show, the program, Diversity Conversations. I'm so glad to be here. There's a lot to talk about, right? Yes. So Eric mentioned tough conditions. Kataji Brown Jackson, wasn't she going through some tough condi conditions uh, we saw here recently? Just desperate. I mean, just uh, politicians have no shame whatsoever. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, not not what not, not so ever. And then I had mentioned once before having her emotional intelligence, right? I mean, we saw that. I mean, just great emotional intelligence. Um that's a, a skill that if we all could have at every moment. At every moment. <laughs> at every moment. When people are saying crazy things back to you, and you know that they don't have a question for you at all, mm -hmm. that they're only just, just uh, airtime, uh, trying to set up their ads and stuff like that uh, at your expense. I mean, yeah. 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 That, 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 that was a great point to call out that emotional intelligence. For those who... Uh, may not have watched, you know, kind of the hearings. Uh, there were a lot of comments from, you know, the, the peanut gallery, if you will, that could have easily upset anyone. Right. And to, to sit there as powerful and beautiful as she was, mm -hmm. and, and every so often she'll give that, that sister girl look. Right. Like, <laughs> for real? And, and, and it takes a lot sometimes to just to be silent when you're hearing almost lies or accusations that you don't even know me and you don't even do this. And just to be there silent, like, okay, continue. That's, that's strength. That's strength. So thank you for calling that out, Rochelle. And then she had um, Booker, if, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he spoke so well on her legacy and the work that she did and, and others that have gone before her. 
And oftentimes when you find yourself in situations like that and you have such a great legacy, sometimes you don't have to speak out because others will speak out on your behalf. Right. Uh, which is what we saw. And that was great. And sometimes that's even more powerful to have someone else come and mm. speak on your behalf than for you to say anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And, and I saw her daughter. Uh, I, I've got a collage that I put together, pictures of her. And one of them was of her daughter looking onward to mom mm -hmm. with pride. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I said, that's outstanding. You know, yes. powerful. Yes, yeah. yes. And so uh, one thing that she said that I, I recall, and I didn't watch it all, but she said that she was proud to be a public servant, right? And coming from the public service myself, you know, there are, there are a lot of stereotypes about working in public service and, you know, they don't work hard and, and you know, they do mediocre work. And I always say, whoever say those things have never worked for the public, <laughs> have never worked yeah. in public yeah. service yeah. because we work hard. <laughs> right. We work very hard. Right. And, 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 and some of the work that we do change lives. And so thanks again for having me on the show to talk about some great projects that I've played a part in as a team member, mm -hmm. uh, some leading and some working side beside others, changing lives, right? Impacting lives. Um, just want to talk a little bit about City West. Uh, when I first started my career with the government, being assigned that project uh, was like, why did I get this? Oh, you know, a humongous project. And it was so uh, controversial at that time because there was this whole term about gentrification, right? Yeah, yeah. You're moving people out of their homes and, and things like that. But what we had was residents working with us. We held charrettes for them to give us input on what do you want, right? That's the start. What do you want? What do you want to see in your neighborhood? You know, who do you want to be your neighbor? And once we talked with the residents and found out that, hey, they wanted to change as much as anybody else because they were tired of living in housing of um, last resort, right? Uh, where you walk into shared hallways and, you know, things can happen in those hallways. Right. And things were happening in those hallways instead of just walking into your unit off the street, you know, your door entry. Right. Things like that. Uh, hmm. And so we we brought 35 million to the city and Ooh. other cities were competing for these dollars. Hmm. Right. So one of the messages that we had to get out to our city council at that particular time, and we only had one advocate that was really for us was um, Tyrone Yates. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, he understood it from the very beginning. He said, Cincinnati, we do not want to give up this money to Chicago, to Baltimore, to Louisville. You know, we want to bring some of these dollars here, right. to transform two distressed communities. Right. right. So he was one of the voice out of many on council that was, you know, with the administration to bring these dollars to change this neighborhood and then see what we have now. We have a mixed income community. Right. We have uh, yeah. some of the historic uh, institutions that were there, been there for many years, Union Terminal, right? My mm -hmm. mother used to play on the Union Terminal steps when she got out of school. The building right next door was Our Lady of Mercy, the high school my mom went to, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, 
she tells us story. She's gone now. We lost her in October, but she tells us story about getting out of school and going to play on the Union Terminal stairs because she was raised in Kenyon Bar, the neighborhood, the old West End. Mm -hmm. So I was I was so elated to kind of bring some life back to that community because it was written with crime and things like that. Right. And so we have now a mixed income community. We have the, the soccer field there. Uh, we still have Taft High School. We still have, you know, a large amount of African-Americans in the community. Right. Uh, and City West and City West. Um, and so but we we work to transform that community. And one other thing we wanted to do was make sure that some of the residents got jobs. Mm -hmm. that they participated in the construction, that they got funding to, to do, uh, if they had an interest in business and things like that. So we used, the, it was bricks and mortar, but it was also a social component as well. Right. And Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. So that that's a phenomenal success story. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times people don't know the, the, the last research I looked at said that when you look at uh, poor, the difference between poor black people and poor whites, that 90% of our poor live in a ghetto, live in an area that is concentrated with all poor uh, African-Americans. Uh, white poor, only 10% of them live in a concentrated poor area. 90% of them are mixed in with all mm -hmm. kinds of other folk. In other words, whoever you are around, you learn what you're exposed to. Mm -hmm. We've always had mixed income neighborhoods. That's what we've always had. Mm -hmm. And then this is a sort of a new phenomenon that people started redlining us into certain places and you can only go there. And so this is a huge step forward. I think it's the answer for the nation, mm -hmm. not education, mm -hmm. but mixed income neighborhoods mm -hmm. where people can enjoy being together with uh, with all kinds of other people. Right. That's just powerful. Right. How long has it been uh, uh, developed? How long? Because I remember when it started. Right. So we started this in 95, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that particular time, we had no idea about FCC Cincinnati. We weren't even thinking right. that. Right. 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 So I, I will say that it was it was a tough situation. We did not complete it as we wanted to. Um, we had two different developers. Uh, they both were from Boston. Actually, yeah, they both were from Boston, but and the community builders are still here in Cincinnati. Okay. But um, but we did we did great impact. We had uh, the market rate units. We wanted to bring them up at the same time. We brought up the affordable units, but the government dollars were way ahead of the private dollars, right? So when you brought up a lot of the affordable units and some of the mixed income private dollars wasn't coming as fast or as quickly right so you have that green space but even that works out we have that green space down there that was never developed mm -hmm. but, but we still did major impact in that community right and and there's still to come there's still more to come congratulations i, I had a question too when engaging the community uh these are you know mostly african-americans in the urban core and you're setting up the charrettes uh mm -hmm. these conversations uh, there is a a stereotype that people of color, African-Americans in particular, in their communities don't get involved. Uh, they don't get involved in their community. They don't get involved in their local public school system. They don't get involved. How were you all able to 
you know, communicate and engage and involve the community members uh, to hear their voice. And actually, Tommy, you know, there are stereotypes, right? And there sometimes you just find them not to be true, right? And so there was a very active community council, uh, or I should say resident council in both communities, Lincoln Court and Laura Holmes. Uh, Shirley, I cannot remember her last name. I want to say Coleman. Uh, she was very active and she was the resident president in Laura Holmes. Shirley Colbert? Colbert, yeah, Colbert. Yeah. She went to Baltimore with us to see what, what the Hope Six projects looked like in, in Baltimore, right? Uh, at first, she was against doing uh, Laura Holmes, Lincoln House. Lincoln Courts, was, we did that first. And Marquita, I want to say Davis, was very active with, uh, with Lincoln Courts. And it wasn't just Marquita and Shirley, it was others in the community. They were active. They, they were active giving us input on the designs that they wanted. Um, they were active talking about the different programs that they wanted. They went to, uh, like I say, Baltimore and other cities to see what their community could look like. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were very, very vocal. Right. And they were vocal to speak up when, when people were speaking for them, saying, you're, you're going to move them out. You're going to do this. They said, we want change. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So other things, uh, City West uh, and you, you again, you have a very robust career. Uh, tell us more. OK, so so after doing housing development for 10 years, then I went over to do economic inclusion. Mm -hmm. Right. So the city had when I took it over the Office of Contract Compliance, we had a small business enterprise program, which is just a size standard program. It was not based on race or gender, just size standard. And when I took that program over that office over, it was really a program on the books. We had it on the books. <laughs> no one paid that much attention to We've it. We've seen that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so it took. Um, it took me with uh, Jim Klingman at that particular time. He was very active in the community. Um, there were others that I can't that come to mind right now. Steve Love but, probably was involved. Oh yeah, Steve. Oh yeah, Steve Love was involved. Steve Love was uh, a consultant that we'd hired, and he was actually my right hand person. Okay. Thank you for that, Eric. Right. Uh, and so we took that program. Uh, First, we knew what we knew we could not get what we wanted with the size standard program only, right? So we just had to do the best we could with that program. And we did Open Cincinnati. And Open Cincinnati was a, a Mayor Mallory's initiative where he identified several institutions in, in Cincinnati to come together and say, what can we do to bring more about economic inclusion in Cincinnati? And so um so what we did is we did the best we could do for that size standard program. One of the main things we did was clean up some of the legislation to let everybody know, hey, this is a size standard program. We have to do a disparity study to move it from size standard to minority and business, um, women-owned businesses. And so we had to educate the public, if you will, which we did that. We uh, we were uh, very fortunate to get a unanimous vote by council to do a disparity study. And we brought in uh, Til Mason Tillman Associates from California who did the study for us. 
And we got the program from just a size standard program to a minority and women uh, business program as well. Um, we, we, in, a, in addition to doing that, we were doing a separate program for the banks project, right? So that program, we were making sure that we got inclusion. Um, again, that was a, a size standard program, but we were trying to work to get um, minority and women inclusion on that. We hired Ellington Management Services as our, our inclusion consultant. Uh, we made, actually, we exceeded goals on that. Our goal was 30% construction inclusion we got 36 percent uh, and then we you know we we have a successful bank's development down there that's, that's still growing and still doing wonderful things we were able to get at that particular time um mahogany's restaurant yes. mm -hmm. um there so um you know, we, we did quite a bit with the SBE program, with the city's SBE program. Right. And I thought, uh, I, I, I remember going down to Mahogany's all the time. Love mm -hmm. Liz. Mm -hmm. Complex situation as to why yes. that didn't work out. Uh, that was uh, unfortunate and sad. But to many, uh, Rochelle, uh, the banks looked like uh, they were uh, more focused on inclusion when there was no traffic there. Mm -hmm. And that soon as they really got ready to roll, then it looks like we got squeezed out again. Help me to understand why is it so hard to uh, to get spaces set aside for uh, for communities of color and diverse communities? And I know I know you all have put a lot toward that. What do you see as some of the uh, stumbling blocks that continue to to exist? I'm not in that area anymore so I've, I've been away from it for some years but one thing is about having you know good credit right oh yeah so it's about having good credit it's about having a track record of success showing that you have a track record of success right. and sometimes for us we're just starting right so we may not have <clears throat> pardon me that track record to show now um although with mahogany's it didn't work out but she had that track record before she came, right? Mm -hmm. So she could show that. And so we try to have businesses say, you know, what's your track record? What's your story of success, if you will? Because if you have that, then then banks are more likely to take uh, a chance with you. Now, the government is in that position because we know that banks are no risk or low risk. So we'll take the risk. And we'll put funds forward. But again, even if we put funds forward, we still have to make sure that we put, we're putting funds where we're going to get some economic return, meaning some success. We got to have somebody there to show success. Uh, also, just, just partnering, right? So maybe you don't have a lot by yourself, but maybe you uh, there's a business very similar to yours, maybe to partner, right? and bring more to the table. Um, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but we have things such as tax credits that we give to, uh, to businesses um, to, to keep them here once we, once we get them here, to keep them here, keep the taxes down, tax abatement, loans and grants and forgivable loans. Say if you've been here, you're going to keep your business here for five years, you're not going anywhere else. Right. That that money that we give you for the first five years, you don't have to pay it back. 
right? right. But that's just a minimum. You got to build upon that. You got to get the private funding as well. That's why I speak about your credit. You got to have good credit. Right. Well, I would say it's unfortunate that you're not still in that area, but I just want to give one shout out for there are a lot of us that have been around for a long time and that have been succeeding for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that the city, as 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 much as we have done, I mean, we've done a lot more than a lot of other cities. I, mm -hmm. I recognize that we've had a lot of successes, but really, we just do not have any significant uh, visibility towards uh, brown, black, uh, businesses in the downtown area. And I'm thinking about even places, people like Steve Hightower and others. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of businesses that we ought to be targeting to see how we can bring them to our, our city center as well so we can increase right. our presence. I know that my daughter and I've got all my, my kids, I got four kids, they're all in their 20s. They just are uh, almost distraught around how many, how few options they have for entertainment. Yeah. in the uh, downtown area, you know, and it just feels like it's, you know, all for other people yeah. and you got one or two spots. So, yeah. And, and we have to make sure we go out uh, and tell the, the tax advantages of being located downtown. Yeah, Some absolutely. people just don't know that. Right. right. You're right. So uh, that was one of the things I mentioned before that when I was at HCDC, we would go out to the businesses and tell them about if you invest in these products, if you get this technology, if you do this, you know, you can get this tax write off and stuff like that. Right. The, the, the tax breaks that we would give them in Hamilton County versus if they went somewhere else. Rochelle, if you can just move over just a little bit, we'll see your whole face. Okay. There you go. Now okay, there we go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> And just I'm trying to figure it out. Forward, until you get your face centered, you know, that's, we've had to try to learn this ourselves. So. <laughs> okay. Now there you are, beautiful. Okay. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm sorry, Errol. <laughs> but it was kind of like you were uh, a secret spy. I mean, you were here like this. I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm not thinking like it's, I don't know what's going on, but okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that adjustment. You know, that's what my grandmother would have done. Like, how are you going to let her go the whole show and not tell her? <laughs> Thank you. Um, but Eric brings up a good point. And your, your response is fantastic, Rochelle, where, you know, uh, black and brown minority, uh, be it, uh, you know, ethnic minority and, and then maybe gender minority right. organizations have been around for some time, uh, maybe less visibility. Uh, but m my question is, and not to get too granular, uh, my question is, when, when cities in, in Cincinnati and other cities are uh, building out their economic inclusion programs, their departments, their offices, is the playing ground level. In other words, for the, is the criteria to do business with the city the same as it for minorities as it is for majorities? For example, uh, in, in the spaces and places I've been, uh, I know it happens, but it's not always articulated to white-owned companies to partner. Why don't you all think about partnering? Think about partnering. I do understand the value, but I also know that uh, that some of our majority companies are given that opportunity, that runway to build the equity and sometimes build the credit, build the reputation, and then partnerships come along. Where on the other side, uh, 
even companies that minority companies that have been around for some time, uh, they've been asked to partner, you know, to, to to get the benefits. And so my question is, is the playing field even as we're taking a look at economic inclusion for our cities? It's a great question, Tommy. And and again, I'm speaking from being away from it right, for, right. for quite some time now. But I will say this. Um, many of the projects that, that I oversaw were large. They were huge projects. So you're talking about uh, revitalizing communities. You're talking about building uh, downtown Cincinnati. Uh, so they were huge projects, right? So if, if you're in many of the businesses that we were talking to at that time and trying to identify where are you, minority businesses, where are you? What do you do? How do you do it? How many do you have? The reason why the issue came up about partnering is because the the work was so huge, right? And if you're a one person shop, you know, how can you do it, right? We want to make sure we, we don't want to set you up to fail. Right. So we want to make sure that you're able to succeed. Right. And so that's why it came up as to maybe you can partner because right. what's ahead of you is huge. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's where that that, that come from. Um, I wish I had a specific example where we were able to say um, there is no need or concern that you cannot carry it out by yourself. Right. But I, right now, I just can't think of any. So, so what we have, what we have done, or what we did at that particular time, is sometimes divide the project. So, when I would go in over the Rhine and buy buildings for the city of Cincinnati, dilapidated buildings for us to to get developers to fix up, right? We would instead of doing it for 10 buildings, we would kind of break the buildings up. So we would say, we're going to give two to a developer here. We're going to get these three to this developer here so that we could bring in a company that didn't want, not that they didn't want to partner, but but we understand we want to help them come up to scale, come up to speed and give them the experience um, on, on uh, uh, economic inclusion, working with uh, an economic consultant we had uh, Dara Butler um, that could compete. We had Ellington Management Services, but I cannot think of others, right? So that type of work is easy just to give it to one person. Right, right. Right? But when you're working with construction, which is a lot of work that the city does is construction, and you're talking about big scale projects, it's not that easy to, right. to you know, you have to have the the people, the workforce to do it. Right. And right. some of our businesses, minority businesses, they're small. Right. Yeah. We're trying to change that. And uh, it's uh, even though all the rules have been uh, written uh, with the assumption that we'd always be small. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. even something like 51% ownership is an assumption that you're going to be small. Because mm-hmm. if you look at like these big private equity companies and firms, the, the owner, 10, 15%, 20%, you know, so when you're going to be over something big, you're not going to be 51%. Right. And we understand why some of that's necessary. People don't want to support pass-throughs. We don't either. Mm-hmm. But I think that we are at the place of 
really a frontier space again around rewriting rules uh, so that we can create uh, uh, MBEs and WBEs of scale. And so there's some work that has to be done there. That's not all the city's work. Uh, there's some a lot of work that has to be done in the private sector, a lot of work that has to be done with communities of color, uh, trying to look at how do we collaborate and you know develop strategic alliances and things. So a lot of work. And, 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 and just to add a little bit to that. So when you talk about the rules, you know, the level in the playing field. So at one particular time, it was the discussion was, you know, why do I need to recertify which with the city? If I've already recertified, if I've already certified with Dayton, right? Right, right? Through their edge program, then why do I have to come and recertify with Cincinnati? Or if I certify with the with another program, the MBE program. So at one particular time, Cincinnati was looking to kind of lax the, re the regulations, right? Mm -hmm. And actually we did. So we were say, we will accept edge certification, right? And we'll ask you just a few more questions. But then you have something that came through Cincinnati where we, we accepted someone else's certification and then it was a pass through company. Right, right. Right? right. So you gotta, you know, it's like, right. You, you right. heard that before. Yeah, you on your P's and Q's because everybody's trying yeah. to beat the game. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in different capacities, it's still happening. With the COVID pandemic, we had the uh, PPP funding, uh, and these were to support those small, medium-range companies to sustain their workforce. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do know that we had some very, very large companies right. gobbling up $25, $30 million dollars and uh and still laying off their employees but you know kind of increasing that bottom line and that's there i want to transition for a moment because you had me thinking that uh, i remember maybe four or five years ago um i was a, a part of a sales uh approach and it's in a different state on the east coast and i was a part of that approach because we had a kind of a joint venture we had a partnership going in to do some professional services, some training mm -hmm. in the DEI space with a very large company. They had over 100,000 employees and they wanted to roll out this training for all 100,000 in a three month period. And so there was it was impossible for one person to train 100,000 people. So our approach was to build capacity to be able to deliver the goods in the in the interview, which was about six hours long, it was it included a lunch for crying out loud. Uh, in the interview, uh, uh, the, the, our team lead was asked, I, I see that there are different entities that are presenting to us to do sure. this work. Who's in charge, right? Who's the lead? And our, our lead heard two different things who's in charge or, you know, who's going to be responsible and then who's leading the effort. And, and she paused and I jumped in. I jumped in because my background is in construction, mm -hmm. is in project management. And to your point, Rochelle, there has never been a huge project where the prime does everything, mm -hmm. right? We don't even, Toyota doesn't even do that. We have tier one, tier two, tier three. 
they don't build everything. Right. And so I jumped in to say, to give that analogy, where there's a lot of construction build, that's where the spend is, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the there's different plumbers, different electricians, et cetera, et cetera. And they were, they were like, yeah, we, we understand what you're saying. And it's, it's maybe an unfair question to ask the professional services organization, why are there so many different entities, right? I want to ask you, as you kind of pivot to your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, to training, development, maybe some coaching, when you are doing this work or you're engaging with others that do the work, what typically, what, what do you look for? You know, even with yourself, what do you look for for a strong partnership, right, with the client, et cetera? And, and because all all business is not good business and all partnerships, all relationships, are not always good. You know, I, and not to be too much longer. I've been in some relationships where I can't wait till we divorce. <laughs> right. I can't I can't wait. And then I've been in some relationships that have been so, so problematic that I knew it was a blessing in disguise. We were growing and building in trust, right? There were some missteps, mistakes. I was able to recoup or I was able to give the other person another chance. And then now, 20 years later, we're laughing. So as you do your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, training, development, coaching, what are you looking for? What works for you? what's really work well. So Tommy, it, what I always say is identifying your niche, right? Mm -hmm. So soft skills is my niche, right? And um, and with you, I, I, Tommy, I love your storytelling. And I know that whenever I want um, training that involves to draw and engage people, I know Tommy Lewis is the person to go to, right? <laughs> I love that story. I mean, you you have so much background and experience and in, in, in your stories. It's just like, oh my God, I, I'm just like watching <laughs> you. <laughs> so so I would say that that's your niche, right? So I recognize that as your niche. And when I'm using uh different vendors with the city. I try to identify what's their niche, what's their strong skill, what's their strength, right? Right. And so just understanding the strengths. And then where's where is your weakness? Mm -hmm. Now, most people are not going to identify their weakness out public, but you know what they are. So right. I'm going to just say technology is mine, right? So if I'm going to partner with somebody to do something and, and I, I got the soft skill piece, you got the technical piece, we're a match, right? We have a long union and we can go far. And so just knowing my vendors, and I've been using pretty much the same vendors over the years because you go through a competitive process, you get the contract, you have the contract for many years. And then the person at the main vendor subcontracts out because we require that. And I, I recognize who I want for what. Right. So when we talk about psychological, I'm sorry, not psychological, yeah, psych psychological safety and stuff yeah. like that. I know who's my strong trainer for that area. Right. And that team. And I know that that team is other 
companies, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's just understanding the, your niche, understanding your strengths, knowing where your weaknesses are at and matching it up, right? Yeah. And so that's what I always uh, say to organizations that I work with and my team, because we do a lot of internal training uh, with the city. And so with my team, I'm strong here. I'm going to lead this piece. That's your area of expertise. You got that covered. You got this covered because there's your strength and, and we go from there. Right. Let me let me jump in with this, too. I want to harken back to where we started before we actually even came on the uh, the air. Okay. And uh, that is Rochelle. You wanted to make sure that you spent some time talking about women in public service. And so I want to give you an opportunity to speak about that. Maybe speak about your book as well. And if there's anything else that we have to, because I don't want our time to get away, okay. all the way away before you get a chance to share. So I want to say uh, the lady that hired me, uh, Cheryl Meadows, I don't know if you guys Love know Cheryl, Cheryl Meadows. Meadows. Absolutely. So she, she hired me with the city um, and she was, she was the director of community development at that particular time. Oh yeah. And uh, she told me, you know, Rochelle, I'm, I'm reaching back. I'm pulling you up right. and make sure you do the same. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, so she uh, was the director when I did City West um, and then she re retired and went to be this uh, city manager out at Lincoln Heights, I believe, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, but Cheryl. And so um, I look at Kataji Brown Jackson. Uh, you mentioned Michelle Obama. And it doesn't necessarily just always have to be African-American women, but I want to right. celebrate us, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, we are, we need to be celebrated and, and some, sometimes society see us as the lowest of the low, right? Yeah. Double minority, yeah. double minority. And so um, oftentimes the work that we do is not known that we're behind it. The lady that uh, worked hard and was the, with the lead with the vaccination. I can't think of her name right, right now. Right, right. Young in her 30s, right? Right. right. African-American woman. Uh, and so it's just, and then here we are with our first uh, vice president, first woman, period, uh, head of the nation here. And so we, we do great work, right? And we've been doing great work all the way back and before Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're making impact, great impacts on the society in which we live. And we need to recognize that and celebrate that. And so I was so glad to hear about the lady that you mentioned that have her daughters watch this program each day because we're out there, right? Yeah. And they too will make a great contribution to society. So when I ride, when I ride past uh, City West, I say, I had yeah. something that <laughs> right when i when i go down to the banks and, and yes eric you're right we need to have more black businesses down there i can say i i touched that you know right. even just Absolutely. a little right you know Absolutely. and so um when i hear about the success of make it plain consulting hicks carter hicks and other organizations i can say I contracted with those guys. You know, mm -hmm. I used them. I remember uh, using Tommy to do a retreat for my team mm -hmm. at that one time. Uh, so I just love uh, partnering and being able to uh, make a difference, an impact. And, you know, in my area, my area of influence, uh, making sure that I can do that. So, right. yeah. And I'll say to you that, Rochelle, we are so proud of you. Yeah, and we are so grateful that you have been in the room 
trying to make provision for others. And number one, that you've always done your job in honorable ways. See, you don't owe it to anybody else. It's not your responsibility to save the world. Uh, we have to be grateful if you just go in there and do a good job at your job. But then when you go beyond that to really add value to the community in and, 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 and significant ways, we want to make sure here at Diversity Conversations that we are celebrating that. Because I think too often we criticize people that might be in the public view uh, mm -hmm. as not doing everything. Oprah Winfrey, I don't care who it is. We just take mm -hmm. shots at them. Mm -hmm. And we need to spend uh, far more time celebrating, saying thank you to people who have been role models and done amazing things and who are passionate about the work that you are doing. We can hear mm -hmm. that in your voice mm -hmm. and we appreciate right. it. I'm on a chair with wheels and it has given me fists. Okay. <laughs> you're a mover and shaker. Yeah, you know, wheels is part of what you need. Yeah, Go ahead, Tommy. I want to I want to share my bias as well. Um, and as as Rochelle was speaking, my bias kept creeping up right now. I have a I have a strong bias of when I'm doing business with an African-American female who's brought me in as a company or as a partner, as a whatever, I have a strong bias to not let them down. Right. I do. I'm, I'm feeling it right now that I want to not let them down. I want to build them up because I see my mother, my sisters, my aunts. I feel their energy and and, and I appreciate working with Rochelle. Um, and I don't know if it was me, but I just have a high expectation to make sure that she shines. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I'm strong enough, you know, from an intellectual perspective, maybe spiritual perspective, I can, I can take a lot of stuff from other folks. But when that attack comes at my own, not saying that it happens, but when someone's talking sideways without knowing with someone that I respect, right. I kind of, I kind of go in Eric. Right. 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 In a certain, certain way, you know, I get it. So, yeah. Some people out there, they be talking crazy. Like, you know, you know, whoever's over economic inclusion or over this program, right. whatever, you don't even know them. Right. <laughs> they didn't let me, all right, right. you know, come for me. So it's lifting up in celebrating yeah. the African-American leader, the woman, all of that is spot on, Rochelle, and thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So tell and, us about your book. Okay, so my book is fiction, so I, I joined Stacey Abrams, right, in the fiction world, and David Pepper, because people okay. say, why did you write fiction? But at that particular time, I was dealing with some tough conditions, people under, under attack, Right. In the public position, right? It gets tough, right? right? And I needed a release. So writing that book for me was releasing stress. I'm a jogger. I do yoga. I weight lift and I write. And so I couldn't find a good book at that particular time. And I chose the opportunity to write my own, right? right. I wanted to laugh. I wanted to look at friendship. I wanted to look at teamwork. And I was able to do that in full pockets, right? So the main character, Stacy, um, Stacy Morgan, she uh, 
ran a, was over an office similar to what I was like. So the inspiration came from my work, okay? And I just took a worst case scenario and made it hilarious, made it enjoyable, made it relaxing. Uh, and, and then I had four pockets. And what what hot topic to talk about than government corruption, right? That never happens, right? right. <laughs> no government of what was to come. <laughs> but, but I will tell you this, that uh, reality can, I mean, it, fiction cannot keep up with reality. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, so that's how full pockets came about. It was just, you know, looking for stress relief, looking a way to write my fears down and exaggerate it. Right. 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 And, and I've coupled a little romance in there and all that. And so yeah. I have a political fiction full pockets. I wrote it in 2015, and right. so it did pretty well, actually. Is, is another book coming? I I don't know. I'm not working on anything. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I ever write another fiction book, but but maybe um, you know books that relates to economic inclusion and stuff like that. Well, um, let me ask you: Could you, although this book is fiction, mm -hmm. have you thought about? uh sharing this book in kind of a verbal narrative form in other words as you were talking if as is fiction i can hear a story uh you know with a group of folks have you thought about that i'm just trying to follow you go yeah. a little further yeah so so you have your you have your fictional book and as you were talking about with my particular skill set of sharing stories my stories are coming from my real life Right. And I can narrate that all day because I lived it. Right. right. And people gravitate to the narrative of my story, my lived experience. Mm -hmm. I'm asking, as you look at your real life, created a fictional narrative. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about share, verbally sharing your story, you know, your your book? Uh, to an audience, wow. be it an audio book or just a group? Oh, of yes, 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 yes. So, so yes. Yes, to answer that, yes. yes. And I hear a combination there, Tommy. I hear a, a sort of an audio book on what she has, but also a real life stories mm -hmm. of the author, because uh, I think that that would be phenomenal. Yeah. There are so many people that want to hear your voice. I tell people all the time, and Rochelle, I want you to give a shout out back to Tommy Put a little pressure on him. I'm trying to get him to write his book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I would be ready to read it, Tommy. Oh. Most definitely. I mean, phenomenal. I was just telling my husband. So the first time I met you, Tommy, it was I was with the leadership program through the Urban League. Mm -hmm. Tears coming down your eyes. Mm -hmm. It was the day that your father passed away. Oh, yeah. And it was my first time meeting you. I thought, God, this guy is very emotional and passionate, you know. But when you told us what was going on, but I told my husband, I said, I think his father, uh, Windex, right? Yes, yes, he right, yeah, uh, we created it, uh -huh. right? And so, and then you played baseball for the mm -hmm. Reds, mm -hmm. and so I was just talking about your phenomenal background, right? Oh, yes, you got to write a book. Oh, <laughs> see the community's weighing oh, in, you oh, see the community's weighing in, they're weighing in, he's surrounded by authors now. I wrote a book, Kendall Wright wrote a book, and Tommy's got three books stored up. He's got them right there in his office. I could just go down there myself and uh, grab up the material and write it forward. Yeah. Man, we love we love the community very, very much. 
And we love you, Rochelle. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, you thank all that you do. And and for those who are not in the Cincinnati tri-state area of Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, um, you should learn about Rochelle Thompson. Thank uh, you. A quiet storm, AALDP class 13. Yes. Right? <laughs> the, yes. You see Penny Monday chiming in. Uh, but it's it's a it's a great opportunity to lift up to your point, Rochelle. Lift up and honor and celebrate uh, our powerful, holistically powerful women like you. And right now, while we're here, right, uh, and 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 so I would like to say thank you for accepting the invitation to be our guest. Um, and as we close out for today, any any final thoughts? Uh, words, anything to share with our community. Just want to say thank you guys for having me on the show. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm so glad that you brought this to my attention. Didn't know you were out there. I will definitely watch it continuously, right? Um, we do need to just celebrate each other, period. Uh, men, women, white, black, brown. That's right. Um, and, and just do all that we can do to make an impact in a society that we live in in a positive way. Whatever your your strength is, use it, right? Use it to forward our generation and well, leave your let me ask you this. One final question. What's ahead for you? What do you see as uh, where you're headed? Uh, you're still with the city right now. Uh, is there anything else that's on your dream sheet, your uh, bucket list of, of, of things that you'd like to do? So I'm still with the city and I'm, I'm not ready to hang up my hat there yet. Right. Um, although I'm close, I'm close to retiring as far as eligibility in years. Right. Um, and, and, and I would like to one day be like you guys have my own business and, and do some of those great things and narrate my book and talk to the audience, just like Tommy was talking about. Actually, I do have a, a business on paper and I, you may can relate to that. So link communication, I, I published my book through that company, my company. I've done some uh, inspirational speaking through that company. Um, and so I would like to let that really grow up to what it can be. Right. Right well, now, Tommy and, I both will stand, but Tommy and I will both stand as resources for you. Okay. Uh, we have discovered that you never want to get out here in this world all by yourself. So whenever that time comes, you still have good work uh, yet to do, uh, mountains yet to climb uh, at the city of Cincinnati. Uh, but when you get to that place, we will be standing here uh, with open arms, ready to support you. And our community will operate in the same way. Thank you. And again, thank you both for having me on your show. Yeah, yeah Thank welcome. you for saying yes. Okay. All right. Well, community, we'll see you. We thank you for joining in again with us this uh, week. And we'll see you next week for another diversity conversation. Take care now. Okay. Bye, y'all.